Warning, this episode contains foul language and extremely graphic details of gore, rape, and murder. You are listening to Keep It Weird, the podcast for all things strange, unusual, paranormal, supernatural, creepy, gross, sticky, scary, and everything in between. In each episode, we sit down with one of our friends and talk about something weird. And this week is part two of our spectacular, spectacular (laughs) 90s episode. Um... Last week we talked about movies and TV and pop culture references and music and all the things that we loved in the 90s. We were planning on those things leading up to some serial killers. The serial killers. killers. Yeah. But we could not stop talking about 90s stuff. Uh, So this is part two. We're going to talk about um, uh, the serial killers. Um, This is still the day that we recorded. Um, part one. So, if you remember, we had some 7% beers, and that is why words don't make sense. Uh, I'm Ashley. This is my co-host, Lauren. Hey, weirdos. And again, Jimmy is with Hi. us. Jimmy, uh, And by again, I mean he's still here. We're all still here. We're here with beer. We're still here with beer. Um... Enjoy the episode. Enjoy. <laughs> Have fun. Have fun with those um, killers. It's pretty dark. Bye. Enjoy the show. See ya. That's probably enough time. Okay. Uh, welcome back. We have uh, we have cracked tink. Um, no one's here to cheers me, but we all have oh. a beer. Here we go. Bling. Ble- uh, yeah. You're fine. Dawn of the Red IPA is what we're drinking. Um, here red. to talk about uh, serial killers who either were active or started in the 1990s. Still this talking is about the part 90s. Part two of our 90s. This uh, is just the murder. Spectacular, side. spectacular. <laughs> we are going to start with Jimmy. Cool. Kick us off. Uh, kick us off. Who's uh, your man? So or my... woman? I don't want to be <gasps> that person. I was gonna say, what you a, sexist bitch? Wild assumption there. <laughs> Jesus. Um, so, Christ. so Love my you. my person is um, uh, Angel Matarino Resendez. That's mine. Just kidding. Just uh, oh go. my god! I almost canceled <laughs> this podcast. Wouldn't that be hilarious if we're all like, "That's who I did." That's who I did. Time. No, here's what I'm excited about, though. Uh, Jimmy's doing someone I've never heard of. You're uh-huh. doing something uh, someone I've never uh-huh. heard of. I'm excited. I feel. To learn. I feel like you actually have heard of this person. Really? Mm-hmm. Go on. Let's um, tell me. Angel Matrino Resendez. Um, at the time that he was active, um, he was known by. Uh, he was known as Rafael Resendez Ramirez. Okay. Which is what I knew him by, because I remember this shit happening. Okay. Um, he so was. Far, he's also it. nicknamed the rail. The rail. Railroad. Railroad. What's that word? Who? <laughs> railroad or railway killer. Ooh. I think I was trying to merge those together, and it wasn't. Rail- it wasn't coming out correctly. Um, 
So he was <laughs> he was known basically um, for using the railways uh-huh. to <clears throat> commit his his crimes, pretty much. Okay, spooky. Like actual trains. Actual actual trains. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we'll I'll start off. Um, so in nineteen ninety, let's say August 1997, um, this is in Lex- Lexington, Kentucky. Okay. Woo. Um, Christopher Meyer. What? 20, are you? I don't know. Are you Why? familiar with? Let's cheer for Kentucky. They don't get love. That's true. Um, Christopher Meyer, twenty-one years old. Uh, he was walking along the rail railroad tracks with his girlfriend. They were attacked by a man. Um, the man bludgeoned Christopher Meyer. Jesus. With this says a fifty-two pound rock. It's a very specific weight that for a rock. Jeez, fifty-two pounds. <laughs> How do you know it didn't weigh more beforehand yeah. and parts chipped off while you were bludgeoning? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, bludgeoned him to death with a rock. Um, he then raped and severely oh, beat God. his girlfriend. Um, he Ugh. bludgeoned her with a rock. She said he picked up uh, like a piece of wood along the tracks and like beat her. To, thought he beat her to death with it. Um, and then she somehow was, was able to get away and like walked to Did a near. Did she play dead? Near, I mean, I think she was. He thought she was dead. She was basically dead anyway. Um, and then she managed to call the cops and get an ambulance and everything. Um, so that's the first known that we know of. That we know of. Um, Yikes. Then, uh, in October of 1998, um, Leafy Mason, uh, who lived in Hugh Springs, Texas, was found in her home, uh, 81 years old, by the way. Oh, no. Bludgeoned to death with an antique flat iron that she owned. Why uh, kill an 81-year-old woman? And why use such a fantastic object? Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> True. And then the cops noticed that she also lived... Uh, 50 yards away from the Kansas City rail line. Oh. Okay. Um, October, December 1998, um, Claudia Benton, a pediatric neurologist at the Baylor College of Medicine, was found raped, stabbed, and bludgeoned repeatedly with a statue that he had found in her home. Police noticed once again she lived near the Union Pacific Railroad tracks. Um, police found her Jeep Cherokee in San Antonio a few days later, um, and at this point, they were able to lift a print off of the car and ID it with um, Resendez. So he was riding the train. He was he was basically riding the train, okay. and then um, jumping off for some kills, and then just yeah, pretty, just hopping off to like do a do a murder. Pretty much. I need to well, be what, satisfied. What, what he said was out. that he would ride on the train until he felt the presence of. An evil person. Oh, that he felt needed to die. Yeah, and he would get off. Find that evil person and and do that. Yeah. Yikes. Um, Okay. So. So when you were first talking about railroad killer, I was thinking that he was actually used like pushing people in front of trains on top of the train, and I was like, "Whoa!" (laughs) (laughs) Um. So. Uh, May 2nd, 1999, so this is a few months after the last one. Um, Norman Cernick, 46, and his wife Karen Cernick, 47, um, were, were found bludgeoned to death with a sledgehammer. Jesus. 
in the in a parsonage of the United Church of Christ where Norman was a pastor, the building was mm. located adjacent to the Union Pacific Railroad. Was it Surprise. adjacent to the railroad? Surprise. It was. Their red Mazda was found in San Antonio three, three weeks later, and they were able to lift a print off and link it to the Claudia Benton case. Okay. So at this point, the cops figured out that there was a murder in Texas. Mm-hmm. With basically the same MO as one that happened in Kentucky. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, okay, we have like a serial killer. Like he's not yeah. staying in one place, he's jumping around. And so then that's when they started putting out all the news releases of who this guy was. They said it was this man named Rafael Resendez Ramirez. He was a Hispanic man. With a bad mustache. With a... He, you know, he had a bad mustache. Mm-hmm. Occasionally. Sometimes. I just saw his oh, okay. image on your computer for sometimes, a second. Sometimes was it wasn't. Like, mm, you know, not a questionable mustache. mustache. No, it's questionable. <laughs> so yeah, that's they, they linked it to the ones in Kentucky. And they're like, Kentucky, Texas. This is not good. Watch out for the railroad tracks. There's a man who's using them to jump on and jump off and get away with the kills and all this kind of stuff. Ugh. June 4th, 1999, Houston. Uh, Noemi... Dominguez, 26 years old. She was a school teacher at uh, the Benjamin Franklin Elementary School. Found bludgeoned to death with a pickaxe still in her head. Jeez. Great. Seven days later, her white Honda Civic was discovered by state troopers. Um, they also found a train, a toy train set that he had left. I guess he had found it in her closet and had left it like near her body. Oh, my oh so he's like fully so embracing was, the so train. He kind he's of, like, yeah. I'm a train guy. He was like, this, <laughs> this is, is my thing. Exactly. <laughs> I'm a train guy. <laughs> this is going to be my You guys thing. should put that in my name somewhere when you call me a serial killer. <laughs> train dude. <laughs> um, and so, so yeah, that happened on June 4th. That was during the day. That night, he had made his way to Fayette County, Texas. Oh, no. Whoa. He's getting stronger. <laughs> Uh, that night, and um, he killed 73-year-old Josephine Convica. Leave the old women alone, you dick. Yeah. Jeez. Um, Sorry, what? She was, uh, she was killed while, she's, while she was lay, laying... God, I'm having... It's the beer. Talk. You had it three is. sips and you're uh, done. Dude. She was killed while she lay sleeping with the same pickaxe used to kill... Oh, shit. I thought you were going to say train Naomi set. Dominguez... <laughs> Um, the cops noticed that her farmhouse was not far from, from train the train tracks. tracks. Uh, he apparently attempted to steal a car, but could not find her keys. Hmm. June 15th, 1999 in Gorham, Illinois. Hey! Mm-hmm. Do you Wait, know, do you know where I don't is? think so. Where um, is that along so this the state? Is, so this is the point where it kind of, why I remember this, because this was happening. Close to us. Gorham is 35 miles from my hometown. Pinkneyville? Pinkneyville, yeah. Okay. North, south, east, west. It's south. Okay. Like, like south, west. Okay, so it's so this south is southern of Illinois. This is, this is in southern Illinois. Okay. okay. George, Gerber, George Morber Sr., 80 years old, and his daughter, Karen Frederick, 52. He tied up George with a telephone wire. I do remember Shot this. him in the head with his own shotgun. Oh, and His my. daughter came to check. I think she came and like would work on the house, like help him clean and stuff. Clubbed her to death with the shotgun. Broke it in half. He took their truck. The truck was later found in Cairo. Uh-huh. Illinois. You know Cairo, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, at this point, they were like, okay, shit, he's in Illinois now. We have to do whatever the hell we can do. They ended up finding out that he had a sister who lived 
Um, I think she lived in the U.S. They were able to, to get a hold of her. And then they got a hold of her and they're like, can you talk some sense into them? Like, we don't want anything else to yeah, happen. Yeah, can you tell them to stop beating can people you, in the face you, uh, until they die? Can you yeah. fix this? Exactly. And so then she ended up contacting him, convinced him to turn himself in. Uh, so July 13th, crosses over the border of Texas and Mexico, turns himself in to the police. Wait, he turned himself into the Mexican police? No, he was coming in oh, from Mexico. Oh, I see. He was from coming Mexico. in from Mexico. Okay. Crosses over the border in Texas, turns himself into the police. Um, part of his deal is he wanted family visitation rights, and he wanted to be able to have a psych evaluation as part of his, you know, yeah. alibi. Sure. Um, so he was in Mexico because apparently what he what he was doing is he was, he would ride the train tracks, um, go into people's houses. A lot of times he would like, kind of wait around for a while just to like see when they went to bed or see if they left. Mm-hmm. And then when he would find the right moment, he would go in their house and hide and then wait for them to fall asleep or wait for him to come home, whatever it was. And he would find something that he found in their house, beat them to death with it. And then he would ransack the place to find like whatever valuables he could. Yeah. Then he would hop on the train and go back to Mexico and give whatever he could get to his wife oh. and have her sell it. Okay. So he was using burglaries as just basically a way of making a living. Yeah. Yeah. And then and his, also his hobby to, on the side yeah. was, was killing. Was uh, the murdery stuff? Well, obviously there was a there was a sexual element to it because he did say... rape that woman. But also, if you look at the way that he murdered, say, men mm-hmm. compared to the way he murdered women, like that one, the the grandpa shot him in the head, but the yeah. woman. He could have easily shot her in the head, but he chose to beat her to death with, with a, the shotgun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like it's he took his time. And the thing is, and the thing element. is, um, as far as I know, all of his female victims did have some sort of like evidence of sexual assault, Ugh. and most of the time He's it was off on this. most of the time so it was post mortem too. Which no piece of shit. Is, I hate that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's like I mean, I guess better for them. Yeah, that's that true. That it was they after they died, it. but at the same time, More that's disgusting. like... Yeah. Jesus. I suppose. Um, so, once he was in custody, they decided to go back and, like... I would love for this guy to look me in the eye and be like, I want family visitation rights. I'd be like, guess what you're getting? Absolutely nothing ever, you piece of shit. Yeah. yeah. So, they went They went back to, like, you know, look at his, his past history he had he first entered the United States in 1976 at the age of 16. Okay. Um, in 1979, he was arrested uh, after severely beating 88 year old Gilbert Chase. Oh, we gotta pause because Gabby has to take a shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like she's knocking on the litter box's door. <laughs> knock knock. Here comes the shit. Here comes my poop. Hold on, she'll be out in a second. And if she's not, I'll just beat her. <laughs> I'm just gonna beat her to death. I'll just wait. Oh, it's fine, oh, Gabby. Okay. We're not doing not anything. Not waiting on you at all, Gabby. We're busy. <laughs> it really is like she's knocking. <laughs> excuse me. Hi, excuse me. Poop time. Let's see. Hold on. No. Oh, okay. My so just ask her to please exit the uh, litter box now. Hey, get get, thing. get your asshole together she, over there, she like, Gabby. Hey, you're done. Yeah, you pooped. Good job. <laughs> She's like, I know. <laughs> I know. It was hard for everyone. <laughs> it was hard for everyone. 
What were you saying? Um, please <laughs> continue. Yeah. I'm please sorry. Continue. Um, I'm sorry about that, Gabby. Sorry, too. So, yeah, in 1979, he was arrested uh, after severely beating 88-year-old Gilbert Chase. Wait, his... 1979? Yeah, they they so went back. Like 17. They went back to look at, like, yeah, oh, his, his, I see. Yep. His previous history. All I have to say is Donald uh, Trump would have a fucking heyday with this, this guy. This is when he was 19 years old. Um, yeah, he beat an 88-year-old man uh, who ended up he dying. He the old. Dying, like, months later, but they couldn't pin him for the murder because they said it could have been natural causes. Okay. Uh, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, he received a 20-year prison sentence for assault and burglary and was released in 1985 having served six years. Mm. Um, a year later, he shot and killed a homeless woman just outside of San Antonio. He was convicted of burglary in New Mexico and sentenced to 18 months. He was paroled in April of 1993. He also served jail time in Missouri and California. He was deported 17 times and oh had several God. convictions for falsifying immigration documents. Jeez. So he's, you know, a bad hombre. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some people would say. And then they were trying to link him to other murders because they assumed, like, this is not, you know. This yeah. is not his first rodeo, yeah. if yeah. you will. Like, he's, he's probably obviously... done this a whole bunch. Yeah, so they went back and they looked, and the ones that he was he had done previous weren't, like, a similar MO. Like, mm. it, was a, it was a weird thing. So he shot a homeless woman with a thirty-eight caliber gun that he... They were on like a motorcycle trip and he wanted, he said that they were going to go on like, they were going to go take target practice or something. And he said that she uh, disrespected him. Uh, what did he say? Oh, she mentioned something about Santeria. Oh. And he did not like that. Right. Okay. So he, he killed her for that reason. Sure. You know, people um, talk about Santeria, they should die. Yeah. Uh, and then he, uh, soon after that, shot and killed the homeless woman's boyfriend and dumped him in a creek. Uh, he said that he killed the man because he also was involved in black magic. Hmm. What if, may I pose mm-hmm. a theory, mm-hmm. what if he's, like, legit and all these people were practicing black magic <sighs> well, here's, and were bad people Here's the thing. and, and truly, needed to be stopped? Yeah, what if they were <clears throat> putting, like, dark curses on the earth and he's, like... Saving us all. Yeah, what if he's... Vigilante! Of, his name is Jesus! His, 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 it's Angel. Just kidding. But but he did... No, here's the thing. He, he did so He did claim to be half man, half angel. He was sent to earth by God See? to kill evil people. He's we legit. Especially those who practice abortion, homosexuality, and witchcraft. Ah. Oh, um, okay. He referred to Revelation 18... Never mind. Donald Trump would love him. <laughs> yeah. He referred to, to Revelation 18 in the Bible where a powerful angel sends from heaven... It says that it was written about him. Mm. Boy, um, oh boy. In a November 2000 interview, he showed no remorse, stating all his victims deserve to die for their beliefs. So do you think these 81-year-old women that he liked to murder were practicing black magic? Or or do you think they were gay? Or do you think they were... They had just gotten an abortion at their yeah. libel <laughs> Who knows? Oh, man. And then there was a couple other ones. Um, in 1991, the body of Michael White, 33, was found in front of an abandoned downtown house. Um, Resendez eventually confessed confessed to that murder, uh, claiming he killed him because he was homosexual. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well. In 1997, uh, Jesse Howell, 19 years old, and Winnie by human, 16 years old. Jesse was found bludgeoned to death with an air hose coupling by the railroad tracks. His fiance, she ended up going missing for like three years. They could never find her. And then... Um, when they arrested him, they noticed that it had similarities because it was by a railroad track. Yeah. 
And so the process, like the cops that were dealing with that called to try to get an interview with Resendez. And this was like a week before he was supposed to be executed. Mm-hmm. And they actually got him to like confess really? to that. And he like wrote him a, like drew him a map. Wow. And this was like, this was in 91. So this was like eight years. Yeah. Oh no, sorry. This is 97. So this was like almost three years after it had happened. And he like still knew exactly what where state, it was. Where it was because it was like, was. because yeah. there was no landmarks. It was just the railroad track. So, but yeah. he like. He could, knew exactly. He still knew exactly where he buried her. Did they find the body? And they ended up going and, and finding oh her. Oh my god. That's crazy so that lucky. he remembered it down to the spot. Yeah. I feel like that's such like it's so gross to say this, but he was almost an artist in his murders that it was just so he knew every detail about it. Yeah. He remembered yeah. everything. And it's this and it, and that's like he was confessing to these murders and he said it was because he wanted to speed up his his execution because he was ready he was to just go. tired of, of living. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, so he but the cops would well check and like, he would know like intimate details about everything. So like Each they, murder. they knew that he wasn't just yeah. like confessing just to confess. Like yeah. he, he would, knew. he would tell them like specific things that he could remember. And this was Ooh. like, you know, five, 10, 15 years after this stuff had happened. How do you wow. remember the exact spot in like dirt next to, I can't Nothing. remember. I don't know where my car keys are right now. Right? Yeah, exactly. like, I don't right this minute. I, I have, have no idea, idea what I had for breakfast, and that was... I did not have enough. I, I did remember. not have enough oh, for breakfast, breakfast to warrant this beer right now. I'm going to be sh- You're gonna wasted. You're going to have a hard time I'm talking I'm so tonight. drunk. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to get swifty here in yeah. 10 <laughs> seconds. Um, so, yeah, he, he tried to claim that he was paranoid schizophrenic. Um, he was half angel, half man. Oh. Um, they ended up finding that he was mentally competent to be tried and that he knew what he was doing while he was committing all of these crimes. Yeah, you big butthole. Right? Um, yeah, what a meanie. Poop <laughs> <laughs> face. Where was I at? <laughs> uh, June 27, 2006, um, he was executed by lethal injection. Mm. He did. I think he denied a last meal. What? Really? At least get your mac and cheese and steak if you're going to die. Yeah. He didn't have a last meal. Um, His final statement, he said, I want to ask if it is in your heart to forgive me. You don't have to. I know I allowed the devil to rule my life. I just ask you to forgive me and ask the Lord to forgive me for allowing the devil to deceive me. I thank God for having patience in me. I don't deserve to cause you pain. You do not deserve this. I deserve what I am getting. Mm. So apparently at some point, he realized he was not a messenger from God. I was going to say, he totally he turned. Was a yeah, maybe he totally, say. totally believed that he was a messenger from God. and Maybe then, he just misinterpreted what... Well, then realized later, like, saying. no, God would, you know, the God that he believes in anyway, would never ask me to do something like this. And then right. he started to change it to be like, it was the devil influencing me. It's like, or maybe you're just fucking crazy. How about that? Or you're insane. It's insane. But you're crazy. You can be crazy. It is funny, like, how much he turned, though, because that statement was actually, like, a nice statement. Yeah. Him admitting fault and yeah. saying that bad things had occurred, and whereas before, he was like, oh, yeah, these people deserve to die. Yeah, and it, and it was strange, too, because, like, people, like, anyone that talked to him, they said that, like, he didn't really... Come off as a murderer? Well, they said they said he was a small guy. Yeah. But, like, you could just tell, like, when you met him, like, there was something about him that made him so like intimidating Mm -hmm. and they said like you know he there was like nothing in his eyes like there was nothing going on here 
and he just like spoke of everything like just as like he was telling a story like yeah when he would tell the cops like how he killed the girl and then like buried her he was just like just like telling a fucking right. bedtime story like My he was God. just so that's crazy. horrifying yeah but i picked him because i remember all of this yeah i remember the old uh, the the one in illinois where the old man was tied up with the telephone cord yeah and the daughter was beaten to death i do way to pick that. one that took like, place near you like guys. his you like guys are in like his seven. name is like ingrained in like I, yeah and I, I couldn't remember his real name because i remember rafael resendez ramirez is the name that like is, is implanted in my head but i remember like that summer that it was happening because there was news stories every day of like them seeing somebody on the railroad tracks right. and then you know the cops bringing him in and being like oh it's not him right. and i remember like um i lived kind of close to, like i could hear the trains mm-hmm. but i didn't live next to it necessarily but i you know i was i was nearby yeah. and i remember one time our town was having fireworks for the fourth of july and i remember we were sitting in the back of my dad's pickup truck and like lawn chairs like watching the fireworks and we were directly next to the railroad tracks and i remember my dad like making some sort of comment about it and then being like, oh, shit, yeah, like, what the hell's happening? And then, like, I had a friend who lived, literally tracks were in his backyard. And I remember having a sleepover his night one night and, and not sleeping the entire yeah. night. Because trains would come, like, every... And your every, head angel every, was coming yeah, every, like, 40, on Yeah, every 45 minutes a train would come by and I would just, like, shiver in fear, like, waiting for the train to come by, to, to pass. And then just, like, being like, all right. Now what happens? Like, right. <laughs> when, does, when does this come? Oh, yeah. thank God I didn't know more about it because there, were, there weren't train tracks in my yard, but across the street. It was like my yard, and then there was a street, and then there was another person's yard with a house, and their backyard was basically train tracks. So oh I wouldn't have slept yeah, ever and, and, it was, and, you know, for a while it was like, okay, yeah, this guy's crazy. He's in Kentucky. And then, like, once they found the, the one that happened in Illinois, and it was, like, like this said, is too real. 35 miles away from my hometown. Yeah. yeah was was all right. The, and then enough. I, and then I found out uh in college um a a friend of mine in college actually um i believe it was her aunt was the woman in gorham who got murdered really wow yeah that's pretty nuts Ah! (laughs) yeah i remember the i remember the murder i don't remember it being a string of murders i don't remember it being a part of a serial killer Mm mm-hmm a serial killer's repertoire. Repertoire. <laughs> yeah. That's what a nuts. bonkers that's, dude. That's the old railroad killer. Yeah, that's a good one. Well that's done. A good one. And good connection to Illinois. Thank which you. is great for all of us. Yeah, we love connections to <laughs> Illinois. <laughs> Illinois represent. Woo, you know, Lauren's from Illinois. I do. Where, where at? You're north, from up north, right? Um, I mean, not north, Peoria, Chicago. Yeah, but not Peoria. the. What did I say? Chicago's not the real Illinois. Peoria. <laughs> Chicago I know. Count. Chicago Peoria is counts, literally sure. its own world. I shouldn't use the word literally because it's not its own world. But like it, <laughs> actually, Chicago using actually is figuratively they've its own the, world. They've changed the definition now, so you can say literally. Have they really? They have, yeah. Is it so assholes the de- the like me can use yeah, the word the de- literally? The definition in now is what it's always been, and then there's a second one that is like a hyperbolic use of the term which is the exact opposite of the it sucks that they had to change the definition for basic white bitches like me because we say we're literally Literally dying dying. i use it way too much and i hate it but i'll be like i'm literally starving like i am that girl and i hate it but 
What I meant to say was Chicago seems like its own world, especially I always refer to the election. Like there were areas in Illinois that I was actually surprised went blue and I was kind of like, hey, good for you. Mm -hmm. But it was all it was just like Chicago was this big blue mist. Yeah. And then sorry about it. Lots of southern Illinois was a lot of red. (laughs) A lot of red. Yeah. was going the other way. And so Chicago always sways the vote for Illinois. So that's why it feels like its own world to me. But it does. And, and, uh, and we're all in LA now. Every time you say I'm from Illinois, they're like, oh, Chicago? Chicago. We're in Chicago. No, that's just <laughs> like, a tiny part not. of there's the state very, up very, north. Very, and then there's this huge part. chunk below that you're not. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing is it's, it's up north. It's its own tiny little thing. And then we have a super long state yeah. that goes on and on. And that's the thing. I, I don't love know a Chicago. lot of the towns in southern Illinois because I'm two hours south of Chicago. Yeah, so yeah. I know the north and I know the heart. We are always called the heart of Illinois. So we're right in the center. That's what Peoria's nickname is. And then I know nothing south. Well, you said Centralia. Well, you know Carbondale. I know Carbondale and Edwardsville because there's Southern in both of those, which I had friends that went to both. So I know that. You know, we had, we went to college with people in Illinois, Southern Illinois and Carbondale that lived in Chicago and would come down down. and not know where Pinckneyville was, not know where Centralia was. Not Centralia. Yeah, Yeah, I had no idea. I didn't know any of them, but I went to Carbondale and Edwardsville to party Party. back in the college days because it was so fun. And then my Carbondale Edwardsville friends would come up and visit me at ISU, which is all the way up in Bloomington Normal Mm -hmm. area, which yeah, is so far. And then people were in Champaign for U of I and it's just like we're spread out all over. So many towns. Basically all we did in college was travel places yes. just to get drunk. It was I would just yeah. go to someone's college to party with. No it was northern, western. I no, never it was, always, it was always but it was always like no one stayed to party in Chicago. They came to like, Oh no, they come. Well, you'd want to go to the might, small country towns south. to party. Yeah. yeah. You'd want to go to the more country towns. It was just easier and more fun to party. If you went into Chicago, it was a whole journey. It's like well, okay, Chicago's I'm in like the city. city it's a little have, uppity and I have some You couldn't get out. into a bar with yeah, we were you know, 19 no ID. And 20, yeah. Like whereas in Champagne, they let you get in if you were 19 just straight up mm-hmm. bars that surrounded U of I, they'd be like, "Oh, you're 19. Come on in." It was like, in what world is this okay? I don't understand, but they let me in. But also, you drink in Southern Illinois. There's multiple bars where beer is a dollar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shots are seventy five cents. Yeah. You know yes. what I mean? Like yeah. it's you can get dollar night. You is could a die. Thing. Yeah, they still have a bar at my favorite my bars hometown. in Peoria, Illinois. They still do two dollar you call it, and you call it means literally you can say I'd like a vodka soda. It'll be two dollars. They do yeah. it like every Tuesday and Saturday. Yeah, it's there's wonderful. a bar in my hometown where beers are one dollar, and I'm talking like a uh, like a, a jug of beer, a like a glass jug of beer yeah. is one dollar. And but if you want, then that's for like Bud Light, Budweiser, you know, Coors, whatever. If you want something fancy like Sam Adams or Blue Moon, it's a dollar fifty. Oh my gosh, breaking the bank! <laughs> One time, Joe bought. Uh, he asked for a Sam Adams because he saw that my uh, we went home for my ten year reunion last year, and he saw that they had Sam Adams for like two bucks. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Jesus Christ. He was it's like, I'll take one of those. Or I think it was three, actually. It's $3. So the bartender 
reaches into the back of the fridge. Her whole body's in this fridge trying to get this $3 Sam Adams because no one's buying she them. She dusts it off. Yeah. No one's buying no the one's $3 buying them expensive because it's $3 yeah. when you could get a Bud Light for a dollar. So she reaches mm. back, opens it, it explodes everywhere because <laughs> it's probably nine years old. Oh my God. She has to get another one. It explodes everywhere. And does she's he like, finally uh, say, I'll take a PBR? No, he was literally like, it's fine. I'll just let, I'll, just, I'll take it. Just yeah, scoop just up what's on me. the ground and I'll, yeah. and I'll still drink it, yeah. please. Yeah, that's a good. No, shout out have... to Peoria Cruisins and Jimmy's. Those are the two bars I'm referring Our, to. Uh, Cheapest Centralia is the Pump Jack. Um, that's the best name I've ever heard. Bentonville <laughs> is all fraternity bars. So it's like the uh, Eagles, Knights of Columbus. Boo. I know Knights of Columbus. Uh, yeah, represent the Eagles. <laughs> the Eagles and the Hall. That's the name of the bar, the Eagles. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a. It's a lodge. It's like a fraternity. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but, but you anyway, have to be, have to be a member to actually to to go in there. Yeah. That's horrible. Where? Can, okay, then what is the name of the bar that everyone can go to in your town? That would that would be the Hall. We call it the Hall. It's the the Knight, Hall. The Knights of Columbus Hall. Yeah. Okay, that's where everybody can go. Yeah. I'll see you at the hall. <laughs> Good old Illinois bars. Anyway. Um, um, you go. Me go. Mine since is yours so is the long. longest. The Knights of Columbus, by the way, sponsored by the Catholic Church, which is awesome. Like, that's the bar everyone goes to. Yes. I know. Catholic go, bar. Catholics like to Catholics drink. Catholics oh, yeah. love to drink. Some of my best friends back home are Catholics. I have nothing yeah, wrong with Yeah, same with mine. Catholics. And our, I grew I have a up Catholic. Catholics, but I don't have a problem with, like, you know. Catholics. Catholics. Yeah, same. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> amazing all around. Um, okay. <sighs> it's a damn shame, priests. All anyway, right. we got off the rails. Yeah, yeah welcome we back sure to did. Keep It Weird. The rails. We are uh, back to some rails. Jokes, jokes, jokes on jokes. Jimmy's got jokes, jokes. Oh my God, I'm <laughs> wasted from that beer. I forgot to eat breakfast I or lunch. Eaten. Um. Okay. <laughs> Woodward... <laughs> <laughs> I can't go on. <laughs> no, oh my, I'm crying. No, this murderer is called the Woodward Corridor Killer. <laughs> Woodward! My puberty voice came out. Woo! I'm gonna it's get okay. through this episode. It's okay. Well, just make a quick cut, quick edit. This is. <laughs> Seven percent. Wow. I'm so sorry. That's what. That's it. That's it. Seven, this is where 7%. I die. Holy okay. Shit. Okay. The Woodward Corridor Killer, or his name is Benjamin Tony Atkins, and Tony is in quotation marks because Why? <laughs> because Tony was the name that he gave his victims. He went by Tony when his name was really Benjamin Atkins. Wait, and he was what? called. Oh, he would Benjamin t- he would, he would tell Tony, them. quotations, He would Atkins. say, my name's Tony. Yes, he'd oh, say, my name is oh, Tony. And his name was Benjamin Atkins. I know. Yes. I said weird things. <laughs> my name is Tony. Prepared to die. Um, yes. But his then later murdery nickname was the Woodward Corridor Killer. And the Woodward Corridor is the Woodward Avenue, which is located in downtown Detroit, Michigan. And the Woodward Avenue was like a main drag that went through Michigan and in the 90s, especially the early 90s, was a rough part of town. Mm-hmm. Not a lot was going on down there. So anyway, we're going to get to that in just a second. But Benjamin Atkins was born in 1968. No mention is made of knowing who his father was, but his mother was a prostitute in Detroit. 
Um, Mother Atkins apparently fell victim to the heroin epidemic that was sweeping through Detroit in the late 1960s. And she had Benjamin... Oh, and Benjamin and his brother were seized by the state on multiple occasions because of her drug addiction, and also in part because she would sit the boys in the back seat of cars while she turned a trick in the front seat, and oh, they had to shit. watch. When oh, Atkins I wonder was, if he's going to turn out bad. Or I bet he'll be normal, you know, like seeing your mom get a little yeah. handy. It's fine. When Atkins was 10 years old, the state placed him in the St. Francis, Francis Home for Boys um, at the corner of Linwood and Finkel Avenue on the northwest side of downtown. And a male caseworker was later accused of molesting Atkins while he was held there. So, again, no chance. Um, yeah, he's done. The St. Francis home was shut down in the mid-1990s. And a newspaper article came out saying that 12- and 13-year-old boys were being molested. And then, in turn, turning tricks on the streets that were coming out of that home. So, nothing good was wow. going on there. So, Atkins had a very messed up childhood. Then, this is like late 60s, early 70s. Then fast forward to 1991, Atkins is working as a male prostitute and also as a part-time pizza cook. Made his way into well, the pizza kitchen, you know? Um, he is mostly homeless, kind of slept on couches or else on the street or in abandoned houses that were up and down Woodward Avenue, or as it's referred to, the Woodward Corridor. Um, he was normally found at Six Mile and Woodward, which is also an area where the gay and transvestite prostitution center was in like the night late 1970s and where crack cocaine in the 80s was mostly sold so we really found a great area to hang out yeah um the woodward corridor just a little bit of history a little side history on that where he was hanging out at one point was like the center of economy trucks were carrying pieces of cars from plant to plant because detroit is like Cars land, as we know. Yeah. Um, and then cars carrying people from downtown through the heart of Detroit and out to the northern suburbs of Royal Oak and Birmingham. It was a main drag. It had it was booming. It had tons happening. But by 1991, Woodward Avenue um, near downtown and Eight Mile Road was a depressing area of burned buildings, dirty storefronts that were abandoned, and people who were too poor to own cars huddling at the bus stops, and it had kind of just turned to shit. So it at one point was this big booming area, and then it just totally fell apart, and it's where Atkins decided to set up shop. And in a city like Detroit that had one of the top homicide rates nationally, the neighborhood of Highland Park, which was where this was all occurring on Woodward Avenue, um, that area, also referred to as the North End, had a homicide rate that was more than double the rest of the city. So pretty much all of the crime and homicides were happening in this one area. Just like, even don't though, go there. Yeah. So I'm just like giving you all this history so you know, like, because this kind of plays into the story later. This was a shitty area. Cops didn't even really take this area and this is seriously. When he was working as a prostitute. As a prostitute. Pizza cook. And part-time yes. pizza cook. Part-time and a part-time pizza, pizza cook. cook, and he's only 24 at this point. In the holiday season of 1991, Benjamin, or Tony Atkins, 24 years old, started killing women, only women, up and down oh, Woodward weird. Avenue. His first attempt at murder, though, ended unsuccessfully. In December of 91, he lured a prostitute into the vacant Howard Johnson restaurant on the corner of Woodward and Monterey in Highland Park. But when Atkins began to act strangely after their sexual transaction, the woman fled naked into the street to avoid becoming his victim. She was later quoted saying, I couldn't figure out what else he was doing. He had to have been trying to kill me, so I had to get away. 
and in a normal corner of America, a naked woman running into traffic would have launched a serious investigation. But because of the area in Highland Park in 1991, it was just another day on the job for whatever cop took the report. So Benjamin Atkins was able to continue his trek, and no one took the woman very seriously at this point. But he met another victim soon after, and this was his first kill. He was later reported as saying to cops, I saw an older lady about 40. I was looking for a place to sleep, and as I walked past this abandoned house, the woman walked up and said, what's up? Told her I was looking for someone, and she said, well, you found me. So Atkins took her inside the vacant house. He offered her some crack, and he asked if they could smoke it together and then have sex. She went to smoke it first, and then when Atkins asked for the sex promised in return, she said, I'm not a good bitch. I'm too old. That was her response. So Atkins told the interrogators he got so mad that this woman was about to walk out on him without sex that he had that he cursed at her, grabbed her by the neck, and choked her. When she finally passed out, he dragged her to an upstairs porch, undressed her, and raped her body. I left her there uncovered and everything. I was scared because I had never killed anyone before, and I didn't even know that she was dead after I choked her, but then she didn't move. Yep. Yeah. That's what happens. Yeah, that's a telltale sign. <laughs> telltale sign. Also, the, like not breathing thing. Yep, that whole not having air. Her name was Patricia George, and the sad thing is it took them five months to find her body because of this bad area of town, and she was left in this abandoned house that no one ever visited. And because she was a prostitute on the street, no one she didn't have family and friends really mm-hmm. looking for her. So it took them five months to find her body. On January 3rd, 1992, a bulldozer who was going to tear down the abandoned house for the city found the corpse. Um, And it was just a few hundred feet east of Woodward Avenue. And then it took another four months for anyone to identify her body. So her tale, I just feel like, is so sad sad. that no one even gave a shit. Um, By the summer of 92... As bodies on Westward Avenue were starting to pile up, the state and federal law enforcement finally realized they had a serial killer on their hands. But Atkins' own worthlessness and his only nocturnal presence made him non-threatening to investigators who were chasing empty leads and looking for a white male. Because at the time, serial killers were only known for being white um, mentally disturbed men, so people were just missing him what because year he's was this again? black. Bringing race into it, nineteen ninety two. Yeah, so they were they had the Dahmers and the Bundys. Exactly. And the so they thought Gacy's they had yeah. they thought they point. had the appearance down for murder. So this becomes a little bit of a race story, which is there actually why I found it. Of, black uh, pe- serial killers. Yeah, black serial There's killers. There's not, and he's this tall black man. Which I left out the fact that he was black just because. It's At like, first, I was surprised. Here's the thing: you say that he's a prostitute. He's a male prostitute, so wouldn't most of his clients be male? I know, you would think. I think he had male clients, but it's women that he was after because he was angry at his mom. Yeah, that that's was definitely a mom I was questioning. That's definitely a mom thing, but earlier I he, was wondering why a woman was paying for sex. He honestly. was coming yeah. to her for sex. That's the thing, is he turned she tricks was, as a male prostitute, and he was at like that gay also, center of town, but then he'd also go to women and be I like, see. want to smoke crack with me and then have sex with me? I but see. the first okay. one that he almost killed... Yes. She was a prostitute. Yes, she was, but she, she got away. Prostitute. So he paid her for that. Yeah, I, I believe. So. I don't know if he even ended up paying her because she said he was acting so weird. Gotcha. She had to get out of there. He had murder in his eyes. He's basically angry at all women because yeah. of his yeah, mom. Yeah, because of his mom. That's right. Especially women who are prostitutes. But when you had first said that, I was like, his clients are men. Yeah, for 100%. sure. He, and they don't talk about that a lot, but we assume that he right. had male clients. And especially because he was at 
that gay, he stayed at the gay area of town. Yeah, he's... Um, yeah. But he was finding these vacant buildings and finding vulnerable women and saying, hey, want to smoke some crack with me and then I'm going to murder you? Because he has all this anger towards female prostitutes. So yeah. that was his target. Well, yeah, I'm sure having crack cocaine was probably, like, yeah, you the know, easiest some, way to yeah. lure I got some with... crack and everyone's like, hell yes, <laughs> so, let's do this. Um, so he has the biggest number of murders in the shortest period of time. In nine months, between 91 and 92, he killed 11 women up and down Woodward Whoa. Avenue. Wow. And his murder was always the same. It was a strangulation and rape and then left them in abandoned vacant buildings. So it took forever for them to be found. But once they were found was when the cops were like, okay, this is a, this is a thing. Mm-hmm. This is somebody doing this. Um, but they were looking for white men originally. Ultimately, as the investigation was still coming up with empty leads... Um, they decided, let's be good police, and a detective (laughs) named Royce Alston decided he wanted to talk with the woman who had escaped in 1991 because he was realizing, wait a second, your situation sounds familiar. We only have ten dead bodies, but maybe we'll talk to that one girl who claims she was almost murdered in the same way. Right. So he picked her up and drove her up and down Woodward Avenue. He picked her up. (laughs) And then she and then she said, I see him, the man Tony, that I remember. He tried to kill me nine months before. They picked him up, and Benjamin Tony Atkins went into custody without question. At first, he denied the killings, telling police that he was a homosexual and he had no reason to be involved with female prostitutes. Police described him at the time as well-spoken and articulate for being homeless and living on the street. Um, But then watching outside during the interrogation was Detroit Homicide Detective Sergeant Ronald Sanders, Ronald Sanders was about to leave for vacation, and his shift was ending in an hour, but he said, I need to take a shot at Adkins before I leave. He got in there and started talking to him about his father. He said, hey, you've never had a father. I have a son exactly your age. I think you have some anger to get off of your chest. Please talk to me. Atkins asked for some food, and cheeseburgers were brought in. Atkins, who is a large man by nature, ate five cheeseburgers while he confessed to the murders, one by one and in detail. His list included a victim no one even knew about yet, one that he had hidden in a secret basement beneath a vacant garage. He told the police he did all 11 killings and took all the lives because of his hatred for women and prostitutes. Bitches and hoes is all they are, he told them. The woman whom he'd raped... Can I just say really quickly, I won't even eat a cheeseburger while I'm watching Planet Earth. Right, because you don't want to be grossed out gonna by be something one of those you gross ones. Oh, I, I can't don't. eat during horror movies. I could eat during like an autopsy. Leah, oh, Leah actually texted me today. She was like, I'm going to watch The Fly for the first time. And I was like, oh, I am so excited Great for movie. you. I am so excited for you. And she was like, yeah, we're going to eat pizza. And I was like, mm. don't ah! eat during The Fly. It's disgusting. <laughs> I was like, here's the thing. You have yeah. about 25 to 30 minutes from the time the credits are done rolling to eat that pizza. Yeah. And if you do not eat that pizza in that amount of time, you will not be eating pizza. And she was uh, like, well, what happens in the first 30 minutes? It was like, sex happens. And after that, really gross shit happens. Really gross, the rest horrible of the time, things. Eat your pizza in 20 minutes. And there's no break. Once the disgusting nope. things it's come in, straight. it's just straight Once up the fingernails nasty. fingernails That's it. Yeah. Anyways, so I yeah, just wanted to put that together. While he's confessing detailed murders, which yeah. just shows that his mind is yeah, not okay. He's like so I said, far gone. He's broken. He's he so broken. broken. He never stood a chance between his mom and then that orphanage. It was just like, nope. Um, okay, so Donna, the woman he'd raped and tried to kill at the beginning of his rampage, 
was the only witness that was brought into trial, but her drug addiction proved stronger than her desire for revenge on the man who tried to kid kill her so she proved to be a reluctant witness when the trial date actually rolled around and the judge signed an order to keep her in jail during the trial to ensure her cooperation and she was not happy about that but bitch stop worrying about your drugs and get on the stand um and then she was quoted you as, should be a counselor me yeah yeah just, i give great just advice. fucking quit hey, bitch <laughs> why are you just fucking just stop I'm, doing fucking drugs i don't, I don't do crack why, why do you have to do it we're doing it i don't do it's it not good you for say you. no <laughs> um, and she was quoted as saying, I wouldn't have told if I thought I was going to be locked up. It's like if I did a crime, I'd have no way to get out. If I ever see anything else happen, I won't tell. Great. Which I think is hilarious. She truly just, she wanted to get back out there and get she some crack. She wanted some crack, man. Um, anyway, so at trial, Atkins' attorney, Jeffrey Edison, fought hard to convince jurors that Atkins was a product of a harsh society and environment. Mm-hmm. And he called up Dr. Michael Abramsky as a witness. And the doctor basically said all... Um, and declared Atkins, he said all but declaring Atkins insane. He kind of tiptoed around it. He didn't say the exact words, but led up to the fact that Atkins was not in the right state of mind and he didn't have complete control of his actions. And the legal definition of of sanity is narrow, so they should give him a little bit of grace. Uh, But in the end, jurors said, fuck that, pronounced Atkins guilty in 1994. And Atkins seemed to shrug it off. His greatest concern was leaving the courtroom so he could have a cigarette. He was sentenced to 11 life sentences, but he died in 1997 of HIV. And that's the story of Benjamin Tony. Man, what a sad story. Yeah, it's a depressing one. I mean, yeah, that's... that is that is someone who probably could have had a normal life. Yeah, had they not, I mean... And then were thrown into a circumstance where it's like... Yeah, it's like he could have been a normal kid, well, but that's... him and his brother had to watch their mom turn tricks and then get molested in this home that's supposed to keep them yeah, safe. Yeah, that's, that's a big thing when you talk about serial killers is nature versus nurture. Yep. Were they born with something yeah. misfiring already and Which then some people are. put into a circumstance that is... Yeah, I mean, there are serial killers who have I think my, normal lives. I think my guy is nature. Nature? Like, I think... think, Yeah, I think he was just born. That's just who he is. Yeah, because he had a family. He had a sister who was pretty normal. He had a wife. He had a wife. But then you hear about kids who come from abuse and molestation. And just, like, this horrible childhood. Or people who get very serious head injuries. And then also are thrown into a harsh environment. And the combination of a bad head injury and then experiencing abuse. That's, like, the most... Well, especially when you experience abuse at a certain age when your brain is developing. Exactly. Because your brain is not going to develop in the way that it is supposed Supposed to, to. and that's how you create sociopaths. That's how you create psychopaths. But he was so young in that backseat with his mom, so his brain, it just, like, stopped at a Especially, yeah, when your brain and your body is is starting to develop sexually when you're introduced to this kind of stuff at that age the the sexual desires get fucked up that's how you get people who are serial rapists that's how you get people who gratification comes they they don't sick things yeah they don't understand (laughs) they developed too early they developed in a in an unhealthy way right uh, but then you have people, I mean, you look at, like, Ted Bundy, and, and the only thing you could say about Ted Bundy, really, is that his 
mom is actually his grandmother, mm-hmm. and his sister is actually his mom, but he was raised in a very loving home. Yeah. He was raised... I Jack in... Nicholson lived his life. He yeah, Jack Nicholson's fine. Fi- I mean, yeah, he's doing that fine. He's <laughs> totally normal. He's not right. strange at all. He's not a bizarre guy. Not a weird guy. No, but yeah, you, seriously, like, you could get a Jack Nicholson or you get... But Ted Bundy was raised, despite that small thing, Ted Bundy was raised in a very loving home. He was raised For in a sure. Very, he, that's a nature. Mm-hmm. Something just Something was did not correct in the brain, yeah. Yeah. But Benjamin Atkins just did not stand a chance. And then on top of, like, having a horrible childhood, just immediately going from that horrible childhood into not a safe place, but the streets of Detroit, Michigan, yeah. where he's... Forced to turn tricks and find his way around. Yeah, and, and he's like, fucked. Yeah, and then he's so well, angry at his mom, and he's smoking crack and taking it off on these women, and yeah. Yeah. But then I also pulled the story, like I said, because of the little bit of race that's in there that's fascinating to me, that they see this tall black man turning tricks in a bad area of Detroit, and they're like, yep, yeah, he's just, he's fine. He can't be one of our suspects. We're looking for this white yeah, serial killer white that we man. know, and like that he was not even on their radar, and they could have found... This murder so much sooner, but he got away with killing eleven women in a nine-month period, which is which is crazy town. But yeah, well, yeah. You talk about. Uh, I was just telling her. Do you remember uh, Dee Dee and Gypsy from Missouri two years ago? There's a, do- a documentary no. on Netflix. I won't give too much away. There's a documentary, or I'm sorry, on HBO. It just yeah. came out Monday. Uh, it's a bonkers so, story. Yeah, it's called Mommy Dead and Dearest, and it's about a young woman named Gypsy Rose who, two years ago in uh, southern Missouri, murdered her mother, Dee Dee, and Gypsy Rose was a leukemia survivor. She had muscular dystrophy. She was confined to a wheelchair. She was like, a, she was, you know, a 16-year-old girl confined to a wheelchair. Mm. Turns fucking out. She does not have leukemia. She does not have She's any perfectly disease. Perfectly healthy. Perfectly healthy. She is 25 years old. Her mother has... Uh, is it like Munchausen's? Or? Yes. Yeah. Her mother has uh, Munchausen by proxy. Is that yeah, what it's called? I think mm-hmm. so. And is keeping her sick. She's getting money from people. Yeah, getting money for trips to Disneyland, sympathy. getting money. Like, they have a free house. They get donations yeah. from friends and family. Her and she's keeping gone. her daughter medicated and drugged and in a wheelchair for she was in a wheelchair for 17 years and she didn't need to be in a wheelchair and finally she fucking snapped and stabbed her mother to death no fucking duh yeah and now she's serving a 10-year prison sentence and so many people like don't think she should be serving a prison sentence like people are siding with gypsy and saying any of us would have done i think she should be put away tin is fine fine. she got a she got uh she was going to be first degree murder sentenced to death yeah Mm -hmm. which and they got it down to second degree murder and she's serving 10 years she absolutely needs to be Away from the public, you know. at least. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, she needs ten years. help. She doesn't she have be past a kindergarten education. Which wow. is so sad and she's horrible because her mom is a piece of shit. Oh, her mom is a psycho. Anyways, Mommy Dead and Dearest. Everybody watch check it. it out. It's very good. It's very fascinating. 90s episode. Y'all ready for this? What was another popular song? Macarena from the 90s. That. 
Which I think what? that song is about is about like a, like a promiscuous like a woman cheating. Yeah, on yeah, yeah, it is. It, it is. It's about um, a promiscuous little bitch. Promiscuous I'm drunk. Yeah. yeah, Lauren's gone, guys. Jeez, you IPA, had half I'm, of one IPA, and I haven't eaten a morsel of food. A we'll morsel. Order, we'll order. It's almost five p.m. Oh. We'll get food before you go home, or I'll make you a sandwich. You, oh, you, you. Anyway, um, this is gonna be a lot of fun for you to. Yep. Yeah, it's going to be a really We've great We've ruined episode. it, as in Lauren Ogle's ruined it. <clears throat> All right. Uh, we might as well get started. We're going to be here for like an hour. Just kidding. But, so, but really. But seriously. <laughs> um, so I decided to do the Long Island Serial Killer. The Long Island Serial Killer, a.k.a. the Gilgo Beach Killer, and also the Craigslist Ripper, uh, may have gotten his start as early as 1995. He is still unidentified and is suspected to have murdered at least 10 to 16 people associated with the sex trade in a span of approximately 20 to 30 years and dumped their bodies along Ocean Parkway Ocean Parkway near the remote Long Island beach towns of Gilgo Beach and Oak Beach in Suffolk County and also the area of Jones Beach State Park in Nassau County. All right, then. So, he's been busy. I'm I I said so. I'm gonna have to draw up a timeline for the killings, uh, which oh, I she did. did. I Don't did. Worry. Don't worry, and I'm gonna post it because the date of death or disappearance and the dates of the bodies washing up and being found are all over the place. So okay. I'm gonna go over this. It's gonna be confusing, but bear with me. It's so worth it. Okay. So the first bodies were found in 1996 and 1997. Uh, the 1997 corpse, uh, 1996 corpse was just parts. Mm-hmm. No one knows who they are, who they belong to, nothing. Uh, Jane Doe number five, I believe they called it. Uh, 1997 corpse was dubbed Peaches. It was a black woman whose tattooed torso, uh, it was just her torso actually, featuring a heart-shaped peach with a bite taken out of it on her left breast, turned up in a green Rubbermaid container in Hempstead Lake Park. Oh, shit. In 2000... Jane Doe number six was found, a human head, a right foot, and hands in a bag. This was, so this was 2000. Three years later, in the exact same place, Jessica Taylor, age 20, from Manhattan, went missing. Her naked torso, chopped in pieces and missing its head and hands, were discovered 45 miles east of Gilgo Beach in the same place that Jane Doe number six was found in the year 2000. Uh, the remains of a skull, a pair of hands, and a forearm were found in 2011 at Gilgo Beach uh, that forensics confirmed belonged to Jessica Taylor, who disappeared in 2003. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're not sure when Jane Doe 6 was killed, uh, just that the first part of her body washed up in 2000, the second half in 2003. Jessica Taylor went missing in 2003. Her body washed up part of it in 2003, part of it in 2011. In 2007, a suitcase containing the dismembered torso of an unidentified Hispanic or light-skinned African-American female washed up on a beach at Harbor Island Park. The victim was dubbed Cherries because she had a cherry tattoo and she was determined to have been stabbed to death. One of her dismembered legs washed up two weeks later and the other leg washed up a few days after that. Now in 2010, this shit goes off the rails. Four bodies washed up. It wasn't already. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, wait a second. Four bodies washed up in 2010. They had all been strangled and beaten, some stabbed, and their bodies were wrapped in burlap sacks before being dumped along Gilgo Beach. All are are believed to have been killed elsewhere. 
Uh, so we have Maureen Bards. She was 25 of Connecticut. She went. Uh, she was an escort who advertised her services online. She was last seen in July of 2007 taking a day trip to New York City and was never seen again. Uh, 2011, her body parts washed up with Jessica Taylor from 2003. Hmm. Melissa Bartholomew, 24, of New York, went missing June 6, 2010 after placing an ad on Craigslist as an escort. Uh, on the night she went missing, she met with a client, deposited $900 in her bank account, and attempted to call an old boyfriend but did not get through to him. Beginning a week after her disappearance and lasting for five weeks, her teenage sister received a series of vulgar, mocking, and insulting calls from someone who may have been the killer using her sister's cell phone. Also, Megan Waterman, 22, of Portland, Maine, went missing in June 2010 after placing an ad on Craigslist as an escort. At the time of her disappearance, she was staying at a motel in New York about 15 miles northeast of Gilgo Beach. And finally, Amberlyn Costello, 27, of New York, uh, a town about 10 miles north of Gilgo Beach. She was a prostitute and a heroin user who went missing in September 2010. She disappeared one night when she went to meet a stranger who had called her several times and offered her $1,500 for her services. Uh, In 2011, four sets of remains were discovered within two miles of each other. So that's when we had Jessica Taylor and the rest of Jane Doe number six. Mm -hmm. John Doe, who appeared to be a young Asian male who died from blunt force trauma. It was concluded he was likely working as a prostitute and wearing women's clothing at the time of his death. He was between 17 and 22 years old and had been dead for close to 10 years. So he died probably in either 1999 or 2000. Also washed up baby doe. This is sad. Washed up from uh, about 250 feet away from the remains of Jane Doe number six. A female toddler between 16 and 24 months of age. The body was wrapped in a blanket. Showed no visible signs of trauma. DNA tests confirmed that the child's mother was Jane Doe number three, a.k.a. Peaches, who was found in 1997. So parts Shit. of Peaches washed up in 1997. More of her washed up in 2011 with her child. Mm. Uh, And Jane Doe number seven, which was a human skull and several teeth that were discovered. Uh, These remains were linked by DNA testing to a set of severed legs that were found in a garbage bag on Fire Island in 1996. Other victims include four sets of bodies between 2000 and 2003 that were believed to be linked, as well as two male victims found off of Ocean Parkway in Nassau County. The date of death couldn't be determined, but it could be anywhere from two to six years prior. So, the killer. There's zero leads for who this could be. Okay. Um, Jesus. It's suspected that he's a white male, late 20s to early 40s, but that would be at the time of the killing. So now he could be anywhere from 40s to 60s, who is very familiar with the South Shore of Long Island and has access to burlap sacks, which seems really stupid because I have access access to to burlap burlap sacks. Everybody. And I'm not a serial killer, but okay. He may have detailed... He may have a detailed knowledge of law enforcement techniques and perhaps even ties to law enforcement, which have thus far helped him avoid detection. Ah. Uh, but it is well known, Dexter. we just talked about this, that law enforcement does little to nothing to help women and men who are involved in prostitution. Yep. Yep. Uh, we talk, just talked about that with the, um, what, what was his name? Tony. Tony. <laughs> Good old Tony. Tony. T- that's what he a, went by on the streets. 
But also, if you know anything about, like, the Green River murders in the yeah. 70s and 80s, like, he murdered 49 for sure confirmed women mm-hmm. who were prostitutes. And honestly, if the police gave a f- even one shit about these women, it would have been so much less. Yep. So it's not too far off to think that maybe instead of ties or connections to law enforcement, it could just be that they didn't try they super hard to find this guy. Yeah. Um, Nobody cared enough. So there are a ton of theories and zero evidence, uh, but we do have some things. Burlap sacks. Uh-huh. So yes. most of the bodies are found in burlap sacks. This has led people to believe that this man could be a blue-collar working man, maybe someone who works the parks or the grounds of the beaches, which would give him a vehicle to transport bodies, mm-hmm. access to burlap sacks, which apparently is impossible for people <laughs> to real have. Tough what, to get those what, what do people use burlap sacks for anymore? Uh, planting like, trees. Okay. That's that's like the only that's thing. That's the main yeah. use. Yeah. So like, using what, the burlap carrying, sacks. What, potatoes? Like, yeah. Good old <laughs> sack of potatoes. He could be a potato potatoes. farmer, I guess. Like, I'd, Find the potato man. They keep saying burlap or sacks. Or he's a carny like, who like, does sack races. Like, yeah. that's... <laughs> It's like, like we, it's not that hard. I mean, to find I can out. go get I one. I just don't know why anyone uses Who them. has access to the sex? Um, but that would also, it wouldn't raise any eyebrows when that person would be on the grounds late at night or on the beaches late at night. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. But others pose that the burlap sacks point more directly towards the fact that this guy knows something about law enforcement because the burlap sacks are biodegradable, unlike plastic bags. So eventually the bags will degrade and the bones will either wash away into the ocean or wash up on shore. Also, if you think about it, burlap sacks are harder to see on the shore in the sand or the brush than a black or white plastic bag. So it could be for camouflage purposes. Right. Huh. Some theories say that this guy is a man of wealth, though. Apparently the identified girls that went missing had made it seem to their friends uh, and family, other prostitutes, that they had been with this John before. Uh, They were seemingly comfortable with him. A couple of the women actually left their phones when they went to meet with him, which seems like crazy if you're a prostitute. Yeah. Um, Unless you had been with him multiple times and know Uh, that he's safe, etc. Maybe the murderers make himself a trusted... I don't care who it's with, I'm not leaving my phone. No. So a blue-collar man wouldn't have the financial means to meet with multiple prostitutes multiple times before killing them and... And also paying for those burlap sacks. <laughs> How did he afford those? Um, so the FBI claims that he has to be familiar with Nassau County, but not overly familiar. Uh, I don't know how they the came up with that, that assessment. Mean? This is like all the FBI profile on this guy. But let's go with it. That means he could have lived here when he was younger. He yeah. could have dated someone from here. Maybe his first victim was from here, but also, what if it's just fucking working for him because he hasn't been caught yet, so why not, why stop? Why change it up? Like, yeah. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Just keep right. dumping bodies here. They're obviously not linking you to anything. Um, the FBI profile of the killer also had this to say. He is a very organized person with a place for everything and everything in its place, and the word controlling or manipulative could be his middle name. He hates women and historically probably physically abused them in relationships. He probably feels that his mother didn't take care of him when he was a child or abandoned him, and he has been betrayed and abandoned by women through lack of nurturing to his needs or possibly through their infidelity. He has the luxury of being able to spend a lot of time on the phone grooming or qualifying his victims to find the right one of opportunity. 
The phone is this predator's thing for sure. He probably has a history of harassment via phone calls, either to girlfriends or women, uh, or even men who he believes has crossed them in some way. Now, the reason I'm telling you all this, because my favorite theory, the reason I chose to research the serial killer, is the theory that the Long Island serial killer may be none other than Robert Durst of the <gasps> Jinx family. Oh! And I've done a lot of research, and I'm almost fucking positive that it it's is Robert, Robert Durst. It would make sense that it was Robert Durst, because what we learned from the documentary is he, the way he disposes of bodies sounds quite yes. similar. Uh-huh. Well, just in case anyone doesn't know who Robert Durst is, I'm not going to go to insane details. You should watch, watch. The Jinx yeah. on HBO, because it is the best documentary I've ever seen The most well-done documentary I think I've ever seen. And it also, like, solved... Pretty much. It actually like, has a resolution, yeah, which is actual, so satisfying. Yeah. It was like it's part of so the reason good. why. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Incredible. Also, Robert um, Durst is the weirdest. Yes, also that. But uh, basically, he's the number one suspect in the disappearance of his wife, Kathleen, in New York in 1982. Last seen in South Salem, New York, at the cottage she shared with Durst. Uh, South Salem, New York is approximately an hour and a half from Gilgo Beach. Mm. Uh, Durst is also the number one suspect in the homicide of Susan Berman, a woman who he was gifting money to on a regular basis that ended up with a bullet in her head when the case against Durst reopened in 1998, and she informed Durst that the Los Angeles Police Department contacted her to speak about his wife's disappearance. Note, 1988 is when Durst moves to Galveston and the disappearances and the bodies stop Stop. washing up. Mm Mm-hmm. In Gilgo Beach. Interesting. He was arrested in 2001 in Texas after the remains of his neighbor, Morris Black, were found floating in black trash bags in Galveston Bay. He was released on bail, and even though he missed his fucking court date for the murder trial, he was... And he was found with $37,000 cash, two guns, marijuana, Morris Black's driver's license, and the directions to the Connecticut home of uh, Gilbert... I don't know how to pronounce his last name. His wife's confidant, who publicized for years against him, uh, accusing him of murdering her. He still went to trial in 2003 and was charged not guilty to murder by saying it was self-defense. Because usually when you kill someone in self-defense, you also (laughs) also chop their body up. up. You need to have them in Uh, body parts after that. You make sure their head is never found. Right. And I'll, I'll, it's like also, a zombie. You yes, have to also, the, head the, the, the body has tons of bruises on it from being beaten as well. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Makes sense. He was shot twice, had multiple bruises and contusions on his body, and his head was never found. Sure, self defense. So, also here by 2007, Robert was back living in New York, and guess what happens? The Long Island serial killer victims start washing up again. So, those are the murders that we pretty much know he was involved in. Like, there's very little doubt that he was involved in those three murders. Right. But also, I didn't know this. Police have looked into connections of the disappearance of three more women, for sure, linked to Robert Durst. There was a 17-year-old from Vermont in 1971. Jesus. Uh, she was a patron of Durst's health food shop, All Good Things. Uh, which is what the movie is called. If everyone wants to watch it, it's Ryan Gosling playing uh, Robert Durst, and it's pretty incredible. Yeah. Uh, what? Ryan Gosling uh, plays Robert Durst. When has this ever existed? And uh, uh, Kirsten Dunst plays his wife, who goes missing. 
It, and and Ryan Gosling is incredible as Robert Durst. I never knew this blinking. movie existed. And there's scenes in the movie where he's talk he's talking to himself, and she's like, "Robert, are you talking to yourself?" And he's like, "What?" When was this movie released? It was uh, Andrew Jarecki, who directed The Jinx, also uh-huh. directed All Good Things. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Before the jinx. Anyways, okay. So uh, she was last seen that afternoon near a bus stop across from his health food store. A 16-year-old Karen Mitchell from California in 1997. Credit card records placed Durst in Eureka on the day uh, Karen vanished. She was last seen walking to work from her aunt's store and speaking to someone in a stopped car. Witness sketch of Mitchell's presumed abductor resembles Robert Durst. And finally, 18-year-old Kristen uh, Modafferi, I don't know, who disappeared without a trace in San Francisco on June 1st, 1997. She was last seen at Crocker Galleria Mall, where credit card records show that Robert Durst made a purchase. So the FBI actually investigated Robert Durst. Um, They couldn't connect Durst to the Long Island uh, Gilgo Beach serial murders, but the Bureau created an informal task force in 2012 to work with uh, investigative agencies in jurisdictions where Durst was known to have lived in past decades, including Vermont, New York, and California. And Texas private private investigator Bobby Subaca uh, has also traced Durst operating under stolen identities in Massachusetts, New Jersey, South Carolina, Florida, Texas, Mississippi and Virginia. God, um, this guy. But if you compare the FBI profile of the Long Island serial killer to Robert Durst, so we have the burlap sacks and the containers. So the bodies that washed up before, say, he moved to Galveston and killed were in a suitcase mm-hmm. that was John Doe and a Rubbermaid container. Mm-hmm. He goes to peaches. Texas. Yeah, Peaches was in the container. And John Doe was in the suitcase. He goes to Texas. He kills Morris Black in 1997, 98, 99, 2000. Somewhere I don't know him. Puts him in the black bags, right? He's mm. found immediately. He's found in like a day. They find Morris Black's body, mm-hmm. except for his head. So when he moves back to New York, he's learned from that. And that's he when the burlap, burlap sacks come in. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so that explains the knowledge of burlap sacks. Uh, maybe he did research on a better bag to dispose bodies with. Also, Robert Durst has an endless supply of money from his family, being the number one real estate owners in New York City, mm-hmm. uh, right alongside the Trump family, who also uh, produced a real stand-up guy. Money which he has used, uh, he has used on prostitutes. Apparently, he would seek out prostitutes at homeless shelters, which I also didn't know about Robert Durst. He technically doesn't have links to law enforcement, but it's very obvious that the ties to his famous family and money from his family's business grant him a lot of leeway when it comes to avoiding the law. Mm-hmm. It's not out of the realm of possibilities that his family, father when he was alive, or brother now, or maybe they hire someone outside the family, help him cover up his dirty secrets, or even helped him dispose of his wife's body. Uh, she had asked for a uh, $250,000 divorce settlement before she went missing in the 80s. But he's also familiar with many of the shores in New York due to many summers growing up at the beach and summer houses that his family owned. Also, you guys watch the Jinx, he also has serious mommy issues. His mother mm-hmm. killed himself in front of his eyes Herself. in 1950. Uh, oh, did I say his son? Mm-hmm. 
Well, I had a beard. Seven <laughs> percent. Um, in 1950, by jumping off the roof, I haven't even finished it. I will. Three quarters. I will. Yeah, you did good work. <laughs> a psychiatrist report from 1953, when he was seeking therapy after the death of his mother, mentioned personality decomposition and possibly even schizophrenia. His wife Kathleen had also been seen multiple times with bruises on her face had been dragged by her hair in front of witnesses and turned up in their neighbor's apartment multiple times in the middle of the night looking frazzled trying to get away from Durst. So that takes care of abuse towards women, mm-hmm. mommy issues, yep. done and done. This also, this next thing takes care of the harassment and the phone calls. After his younger brother Douglas was appointed to run the family business in the 90s, it caused a huge rift between Robert and the rest of his family, eventually estranging him from them. They have reported multiple harassing phone calls. Durst himself has been arrested several times for showing up at their offices or houses, sometimes with weapons, sometimes with weapons. <laughs> he's still free. Actually, no, he's just arrested. But, uh, Spoiler alert. Sorry. <laughs> he also has made harassing phone calls to his ex-mistress, Prudence Farrow, who is Mia Farrow's sister. What? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. What a weird connection. Yeah. After she ended, the, he was having an affair with her while he's, he was with his wife, Kathy, who disappeared. Huh. And she ended it, and three days later, his wife went missing. Oh my gosh. Uh, it's also interesting to note that Bobby Baca, the private investigator who was looking into the death of Morris Black, actually mentions the Gilgo Beach murders tying in Durst. He says, I think that the victims of Robert Durst, one of the dumping grounds may be Long Island. They've been finding lots of body parts there. Most of them have been popping up after Durst gets in and out of prison. And while Durst was in prison, it is well documented that his new wife was talking to him, was talking to him on, uh, in many telephone, wait, what? On many telephones. She was talking to him on many telephones. One on each hand. Yeah. Like. Well, that sense doesn't make like sense. Like five telephones. But they me. tape recorded the calls, and he was basically asking her and an attorney friend of his to empty out many of his properties and sell them. I believe whatever was in those properties might have either moved to a warehouse or been dumped, and she happens to live on Long Island. Uh-huh. So the place that the killings could have been happening have been cleaned out. Basically, yeah. when he knows people are on his him. tracks. Quite um, he also said, I believe he likes to kill near water. He likes to live on areas near water, like New York or Florida or Galveston, coastal areas. Because if you think about it, the thing that damages evidence more than anything are fire and water. Water is the most destructive thing on a human body after it dies. It degrades and almost all usable evidence is gone. Some people don't think that Robert Durst is a serial killer. They think he's only killed those three people and that's it. And he only kills people that stand in his way. But Uh I don't. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. I mean, even if you look at, like, um, it's like Serial Killer 101. Serial killers often start with animals. Uh Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's fascination. Sometimes it's practice. And Durst had a series of seven Alaskan Malamute dogs who he named all of them Igor, which is insane, (laughs) which all died under mysterious circumstances within a year of him having them. And the bodies of the dogs were never found. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah. maybe yeah. they'll wash up in burlap sacks. Uh-huh. Yeah, geez. Well, then, guys, I made this timeline of the Long Island serial killer and Robert, Robert Durst, Durst, and it matches up. It's it like does. Kathy disappears in 1982. 
1995 is when Do- John Doe uh, uh, washes up. Karen Mitchell is the girl that uh, disappears in 1997 that he's kind of linked with. So 96 and 97 is when we find Peaches and Jane Doe number 7. Mm-hmm. 2000, Jane Doe number 6 washes up, but they said that she could have been dead for like three years. Mm-hmm. Susan Berman's found dead in California. Morris Black is found dead. Jessica Taylor and Jane Doe wash up, but again, they've been dead for a while. The trial's in 2003. He's arrested for breaking parole. There's nothing happening. No bodies are washing up. Uh Cherries washes up from however many years years ago. ago. Uh, And then he for sure resided in New York in 2010 and 2011. We know from an interview with his brother, which you saw in the Jinx, Mm -hmm. uh, in 2010 where he accuses Durst of stalking him and his family. And that's when Maureen, Melissa, Megan, Amber all start washing up. In Gilgo Beach. When he's back in New York. When he's back in New York. Yeah, the timeline makes sense that it could be him. Yeah. 100%. I would say more than the timeline. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. Also, just like, I didn't realize, because at first when I read that, I was like, no, because I didn't realize, I didn't know that he had a history of picking up prostitutes. But he not only has a history of picking up prostitutes, if you remember, he was arrested. This man is one of the richest men in the country. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, his family owns like half the real estate in the, of in Rockefeller York, Center. Yeah. Right. Like, he is he is well so up. rich. Uh-huh. He was arrested for stealing a sandwich uh, right after he killed Morris Black. It's like this man well, he has, has no reason to steal dollars. a sandwich. He just yeah. he needs to commit crimes. When he, he was arrested, yeah, when he was arrested for breaking parole in 2005. He was also, at the time, he was peeing on a vitamin rack at, a, like, a Rite Aid. Oh, my God. He was just peeing on it. He's a serial killer, yep. and if you don't think he's a serial killer, you're fucking crazy. You're not reading between the lines of, <laughs> you're like, not reading any those lines. three people that they're like, oh, it could have just been this. Look at all of the in-between and all the stupid no, crimes that he committed. he's been an active serial killer, I would say, since 1971. Yep. He's messed and up. And he has the connections to continue to get away get with away it. Get away with it, yeah. I know. He has the money and the power to get away with it, which is money. so I horrifying. I guarantee his family is trying to cover up a lot of it mm-hmm. because it's going to make them look bad. But honestly, at this point, if I was a member of his family, I'd be like, charge him. Yeah. I'd be like, you're There's on your own, Robert. There's nothing that could make Seriously. us look worse yeah. than this continuing. Because everyone is on the you're other big, side and believes that he did it. You're a bigger disgrace so. to the Durst name than Fred. <laughs> <laughs> Here's Fred what's funny Durst. about that joke. Uh, when I was Durst. typing up this timeline, I accidentally wrote Fred Durst instead of Robert here. <laughs> I corrected oh it. But as I was going over you it with Joe, and I was moment. like, and then look, in 1982, Fred Durst, uh, Kathy just and Joe was like, Fred. Fred. Fred from your Fred, favorite Fred, Limp Biscuit. Stuck on the 90s, huh? <laughs> Limp Biscuit. Limp Biscuit. Fits the 90s, so though. Fits it. Fits right Chocolate starfish. <laughs> so the hot dog flavored water. Come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, Limp Biscuit. Well, we've been talking for about three and a half hours, yeah. so I feel like maybe... Maybe we should, uh, we should wrap, wrap it up. Wrap it up. Maybe um, we but it. the '90s are a great decade. That's what we'll, yeah. We should all we'll go back. Where your chokers talk, play with your talked about is Jinkos, negative in any way. Where your jinkos? Where your jinkos jeans? Um, 
What else? Butterfly clips. Oh, that goes a little into early 2000s. A little bit, but not but enough. I think. L.A. Gear. Not enough. L.A. Gear. What about the, uh, blinky, the blinky shoes? Um, oh, those bracelets that you slap, slap bracelets. Slap yeah. bracelets. I have many, many a bruise. Many a bruise from those. Uh, yeah, slap bracelets were the best. What else were the weird what styles? What was that? Hodgepodge? Modgepodge? Nope. Oshkosh? Oshkosh. 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 Overalls that were Oshkosh 100%. so many Oshkosh. Oshkosh. Um, in the early 2000s, <laughs> I was wearing 90s clothes because I didn't have my own clothes until like probably 2004. I just had hand-me-downs. So, so you I were had in the all 90s these period. like Lee Jeans brands. I had but it was all the, too like, soon for them to 90s. come back. So oh, you yeah, were just right. I just looked like a garbage. You were five years were just... too early and five years too late. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. I got made fun of a lot. I Poor soul. I turned out fine. I'm just drinking, I'm just drinking <laughs> beer at two o'clock on a no, it's five. It's yeah, five o'clock. It's five o'clock somewhere. somewhere. So you're in the right. Uh, Feeling good on a Wednesday. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, that's all the time we have uh, for this week on Keep It Weird. If you love us, head over to iTunes, subscribe, and rate our show. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Keep It Weird Cast and our Facebook page, Keep It Weird. We're always Woo. posting weird news articles and movies for you guys to check out. You can still vote for us in the 2017 Hoo Ha Ha Female Comedy Awards yeah. uh, by going to hoohaha.com slash vote. Vote for us. Uh, everyone needs to thank Jimmy for being here for three weeks Woo! in a row. Thank you for Woo! letting me. Jimmy. Technically two, come. but also going to be It'll three now come off because this three. episode is a you year You guys are spoiling long. all the secrets. Oh, sorry. What? What? Yeah. <laughs> three straight weeks. Three, three straight, straight weeks. weeks. We're, we're spoiling the movie magic. Yeah, exactly. Here. Do you have um, anything you want to plug? Are you working on anything um, right now that's pluggable? No. Nope. Cool. Unfor- that's fine. Unfortunately, I do not. <laughs> what a lame. Do you want to give out your uh, Instagram handle? Sure. Or? If you want to follow me on Instagram, it's um, it's it's my last name, Heisner. 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 Uh, B E R G. It's like Heisenberg. It's a play on Heisenberg. I made that joke yes. earlier. I love it. Because I'm so funny. So clever with your Breaking Bad so jokes. Um, so yeah, you can go to that. I guess I post a picture every. He posts once a picture in a while. every once in a while. Hey, follow so. Jimmy. You hear that handsome low voice? You want to follow yeah. him, ladies, yeah. right? Um, and I think yeah. there's a link to my Twitter ladies. on my Instagram, and you can read like the occasional joke I make. So yeah. Hey, you're a funny guy. Thank Maybe you. Worth a follow. Thank you. No. I'm drunk. No, I like it. No, you're being very, very, like, loving and accepting of everyone in the room right now. Because I love you both. Oh, my God. Thank you guys for having me, though. Yeah, of course. Especially of course. Two, week, two weeks in a row. Wow. Yes. Two, three weeks, whatever two, you want to say, weeks. you know? Yeah. Maybe hey, Jimmy. Just be a part of the show now. What's our sign-off today? <gasps> I don't know either. You better tell I us. I know, but you should. Uh, you can't throw it on me last. I can. Last minute. Oh, well, no, we that's what happens to um, all of our guests. It involves a cat being attached to my ankle. Oh, that is oh my so God. cute. Uh, Penny. So Penny, say something Penny, about a cat. Penny on your is, ankle. In, is in love with me right now. Um, our sign off will be something nineties, man. It's gonna be really nineties. Oh, yeah. What's a good nineties sign off? Um, What's a good like nineties theme think, song? Yeah, I was trying to think. What do they say? What is the end of, of Are You Afraid of the Dark? On behalf of the Midnight Society. <gasps> oh yeah, what's their little thing? They say something, right? They do. Yes. 
<laughs> I'm like trying to say it in my head. Oh, I have no idea. I'll never remember. Well, on behalf of the Midnight Society, Society yes. Keep, keep it, it weird. weird. Keep it weird. That works. That works. Bye, weirdos. Are you pooping? <laughs>